I'm James. Hi, I'm Renee. Hi, I'm Tom O'Gorman. And I'm Becky. And I am Scott. And we are track walking Full House. Uh, this is going to be a podcast suggested by Renee Hines. Uh, back at NCM, had a great idea for a podcast. Almost happened at NCM. It's probably just as well that it didn't. Um, but we are here at Blackhawk, and we wanted to do something a little bit different today. Uh, we wanted to talk and hear from minorities at the trek. We wanted to hear from women. We wanted to hear from an African-American. And we wanted to hear from a gay man. Gay man? Homosexual? I, I don't know the lingo anymore. God damn, I made this awkward already. Um, so I think, why don't we start here? Why don't each of you introduce yourself and share a formative experience of what, I don't want to say like immediately make it awkward, but like, could you share an experience? You already did that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm kidding, kidding, <laughs> kidding, kidding. Ship has sailed. Um, share an experience of what made you feel or realize that you're different from about every other straight white dude in paddock. Feel free, whoever would like to go first. I guess I'll go first because uh, I took a nap and I'm feeling really good. Mm. Um, I'm James Morgan, uh, good life helper outer, um, perpetual track buddy. I do all the things that I can do always. And this weekend I'm instructing. And I guess something that's made me feel different. Um, I mean, I can kind of walk in any racetrack and look around and be probably one of only a handful of African-American dudes there. I mean, it's almost like don't wear it. I mean, wherever I go, um, handful. I would say one or two. Yeah, it'll it'll be one or two, and then yeah. especially when it comes to driving, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of like it's kind of a shallow pool. Like it's 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 one of those things that you don't really think about until you get there. And I mean, it's not like people go out of their way to make me feel awkward, um, but. I'll come to a racetrack, I'll go drive and I'll do stuff. And, you know, it'll just be kind of a realization that, you know, like, hey, uh, I'm kind of by myself here when it comes to my life experiences. So I guess that would be that. I know black men love their cars. So why aren't they out here? Do you know why? I, I, you know, I've actually, I was going to say, I don't think it's the atmosphere. Actually, I think it's not knowing first and foremost. Um, I have talked extensively with my wife about this, about wanting to make it more accessible because mm-hmm. um, she grew up in the south side of Chicago and I grew up around the south side of Chicago. So I'm I like have a lot of heart and soul down there. But I mean, if anybody who's familiar with Chicago knows that the south side is more of an impoverished area, um, I could go into the housing crisis. I can go into why it's like that, but that we we'd be on this podcast all day. But I'm just gonna say, anybody who's listening, read Color of Law. Exactly, just throwing that out there. So, I think it's a, an accessibility thing. It's also it's also a cost thing. Like, I mean, uh, if you think about the average net worth of an African American family versus the average net worth of an average white American family, I mean, it's a huge difference. Um, so to build a car, to transport that car to a racetrack and to pay entry fees and to pay for consumables and to pay for all those things and get out there is 
extremely daunting when you're trying to just make it to the next week. And uh, I'm thankful for all my friends that have allowed me to do this because I don't think I would have been able to do this on my own if I had to pay for everything. I mean, if I couldn't barter my time or barter my efforts to get to the racetrack, and I mean, that was just being in the right place in the right time. Oh, next. Okay. Um, I'm Renee Hines. I am female, and I am 60 years old today. I'm Renee Hines, and I am woman. <laughs> Hear me roar? What? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. So, um, my experiences um, started... So, I grew up in a family that loved cars. We built cars. My dad built my first or my brother's first race car um, and then uh, my brother's first motocross motorcycle Um, so we have been racing for years but he never thought of putting his daughter in a car my family was very much the 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 dual side the 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 women did the dishes the boys took the trash out I mean that's just the way it was Um, but yet as it turns out, of the six children, I got the talent to drive a race car. And I grew up in West Virginia on really curvy roads and really learned to accelerate through curves up and down hills. I love hill climbs. They're amazing to me because that's where I grew up. But my first experience was um, my brother actually broke his ankle. And he had been driving a round track dirt track car. And there was nobody to finish the season for him. And, of course, he had to be off his his foot for six weeks. So he just tried to talk his wife into it, tried to talk friends into it. And there was nobody who really wanted to get behind the wheel. And, like, I was, like, the last, Renee, do you want to do this? I was going, I would love to do this. Put me in there. And it turns out in the very first race, I put down faster lap times than my brother. And so over that six-week period, I actually because it was by car back then rather than by driver. And my his car actually started ranking higher over that six-week period, so he allowed me to finish the whole season for him. And while he didn't win the season, we ranked higher than he would have otherwise. And then the following year, he actually bit his lip and said, you know what, Renee, why don't we build a car for you? And then the next season, I actually did finish second in the points and – so then after that, we started building cars for me. And that was something that I was one, one female of all the drivers out there. And that was every track we went to in the southeast. That's Georgia, Alabama, and South Carolina. Every single track we went to, I was one of one. And I got a lot of, you know, you don't belong here. Um, I had guys walk up to the car and they'd say, I can't believe you beat me with a lot of words that start with B. Um, and so I was, I was ostracized. I couldn't go to some of the meetings. I wasn't allowed to be part of the gang. Right. And I mean, it was tough, but I stayed in there, kept doing it. Yeah. Um, I'm Tom O'Gorman. Hi Tom. Uh, hello. Hi Tom. Um, I think, I don't know exactly where to start, but I grew up um, as a fan of racing, going to Mid-Ohio, 
um, with my dad. I've been on these podcasts enough. I'm sure plenty of it, plenty of these people have heard the story. Underwear. But <laughs> underwear. Yeah, exactly. So I grew up as a fan of motorsports and I was the kid that always only had Hot Wheels cars and racing games and RC cars and slot cars and anything above that. But I always knew that I was a little bit different and I never knew the word for it until I learned what being gay was when I was in my early teens. And it became immediately clear like that's that's the word for how I'm a little different. I'm gay. And I think the big thing in my motorsports career, which I'm sure we'll get more into, is that they're extremely isolated. And I'm very honored to sit in this group of people and intend to take a little bit of a backseat because I understand that of the people sitting on this podcast with a microphone, I have the privilege of appearing the same first until you get to know me, whereas nobody else in this room does on this podcast. Uh, And those things... I think have given me a bit of acceptance and a bit of grace without needing to prove myself quite so much. Whereas everybody else has had to work through a different kind of uh, challenge, I guess, a different kind of prejudice at times, I'm sure. Um, Whereas I've had generally very good experiences and that's because I look like a straight white guy first. And then people may learn after they get to know me a bit that I'm not. And uh, I've only come to appreciate that recently, specifically in the last two to two and a half years, um, which is why I'm excited to sit here with everybody else and hear more experiences because I don't know that mine are going to be as challenging necessarily, but those things are becoming more uh, the same in my life, the motorsports career and the being a gay man. And I'm proud of that. And, uh, now it's 2021 and here we are. <laughs> Think about when you were confronted at a race where an individual started calling you names. I was there. I witnessed it. That was hard. It was hard for me not to jump in and beat the hell out of a guy. It was just, it was very difficult for me and it, it broke my heart. Yeah, that was a, it was an IMSA professional race, and I was called some slurs by a driver, and a, a fellow driver. Um, the challenge is I don't know if they knew that it was because I'm gay or if it's because that's a word that gets thrown around too freely. It was uh, the F word. For, I, don't, I don't know what level of blunt we want to go here, but it was, it was like, wow, I can't believe that person just did that. Mm-hmm. And also I have no idea if it's because he's a complete idiot and thinks that that's an okay word to say, or if it's because he intended to tear me down because he knows that I'm gay. Um, and I think that's why some of those things have been isolated from one another so much for me that growing up hearing things called gay and growing up hearing things like that as being just acceptable terms thrown around where maybe while I think I have way more privilege than the other three on this podcast, in a lot of ways, maybe I don't in that you would certainly never call somebody the N-word in public that, that blatantly or somebody, I don't, the C-word that blatantly, mm-hmm. whereas maybe you aren't educated enough to yet know that in 2020 or 2019 when it happened, it's still not okay to say the F-word to, huh? 2019. Yeah, it was a year and a half ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... I don't know. I hadn't thought of that until you just said that. But yeah, it's an interesting thought. Anyway, next. (laughs) Hi, I'm Becky Burton. Hi, Becky. (laughs) Hi, Becky. Hi, Becky. Um, So 
my experience, um, obviously I'm a female also, similar to Renee, but probably a lot more subtle. Um, I, I guess I, um, growing up and working in a, a male-dominated industry, I kind of am attuned to the tiny things that people say and do and I'm not sure that they're even aware of themselves sometimes. Um, but I remember going to my first track day and noticing that um, we would start talking to people and S Scott would introduce himself or somebody would introduce themselves to Scott and then I would reach out my hand to introduce myself and it was like I wasn't even there. Uh, I also remember a woman it was at Gingerman, and a woman went off at turn 10 the first day that I was there and hearing the things that people said about her driving. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was, um, it's not a, it's not a in-my-face thing, but it's something that I notice in little ways all the time. Um, not from everybody, but just every track day. Do you do most of the setup, or you and Scott discuss the setup on Scott's car? Yes, uh, at track days I make most of the setup decisions. Uh, I'm usually the one working on the car. I'm usually the one under the car um, doing a lot of the, I'm the crew chief. Um, and I, I've noticed people say things like, oh, he makes you do all the work or um, you're the one who does all the work. And I think if it was a, a two, two men on a team, that would not even occur to people to say that. Like. If there's two men and one's the driver and one's the crew chief, nobody says to the crew chief, he makes you do all the work. <laughs> um, yes, that's another another place that I've been keenly aware of, yep. of it. So I often get questions, or no, it's better that I get questions more about, well, how does Scott set up the car? I'm going, well, Scott and I discuss how to set up the car. We both understand how to set up cars and we have a discussion about it about how to set it up and it's not always equal there are times when I say I want the car set up this way and even though you know he says well again it's a it's a discussion right between the two of us and so Scott and at least treats me like an equal that doesn't mean someone else does there are people who will come up and say when they start asking questions about the car They'll say, well, where's Scott? I want to ask questions of him rather than questions of me, right? That was one of the other ways that I noticed it, too, is that when Scott was, when we were both by the car, people would come up and ask Scott questions about the car. But if Scott was somewhere else and I was working on the car, people, most people would not even acknowledge me or say hi to me. Yep. Even if I was underneath the car or, or obviously working on the car. So, so James, do you get questions about car setup? I get lots of questions about car setup all the time. And I honestly don't really know how to set up a car like that. <laughs> um, I know how to set up S2000s, and that's about it. James, if I could, I know um, I'm not going to bring... You and I talk a lot outside of um, track day stuff. We talk um, so much. I love it. I know. Um, really... I've appreciated your friendship and your honesty. And one of the things that you and I have talked about that I, I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing is on any given track weekend, you are very bright, you're very bubbly, you're very huggy. And I remember asking you at one point if some of that isn't so that you don't appear to be a scary black man 
in a paddock full of white dudes. Uh, I wondered if you wouldn't mind sharing. I think subconsciously some of it is because uh, I am 6'1", 250 pounds. I'm a lot of person. Um, and I mean, I've, you know. So I, much fun to hug. Best <laughs> hugging. I mean, you know, I, I, I grew up not being a tough guy or anything like that, but. I mean, I've been profiled by police, by store owners, by, I mean, I've been profiled by a lot of people in my life. It's honestly, you almost don't even notice it because it happens so much on a daily basis. Um, and, and then, you know, the, like, like I said, nobody's ever come out to my face or saying, said anything, especially at a track day. I actually feel really welcome with the grid life community. Um, I've never had a problem with it, but I mean, it's still one of those things that, it's kind of almost always in the back of your head and it influences how you act everywhere. Um, just growing up that, you know, growing up and dealing with that on a day to day basis. Um, you know, and like I, I talked to my friends about the backgrounds and how we grew up and like, I went to, I went to a high school in the suburbs that was still on lockdown and full of metal detectors because it was a mostly black high school. And, uh, there was like a high school, down the street not too far away that was like open campus free go do whatever you want guys and uh you know it's just i mean in little ways like that especially in your formative years growing up being told that you know you have to you, you know you have to if you ever get pulled over you have to be respectful be polite be make sure that you're non-threatening and uh i mean it's it just kind of gets ingrained in your brain um, to kind of change the way you act. Uh, so I don't, even if I'm not feeling the best or myself, I am always bubbly 110%. Always as cheerful as I can be, you know? Have you ever had an off day at a track? Or, I, have, or have you always felt... I'm. I'm going to say what I feel it is. Feel free to correct me. Have you ever had an off day where you haven't felt the need to perform? Yes. Those would be the days where you'd look for me and I'd be gone by 6 p.m., whether I'd be asleep, chilling by myself somewhere or something like that. Um, I've gotten real, you know, I'm really good at being around the people that I'm around, you know, doing what needs to be done and then the second I get a moment to really be or feel however I feel, like gone off and just being on my own so I can process it in my own way. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's also kind of hard to uh, deal with the stuff that goes on in the world every day, especially the last four years, you know, they were, they were, they were kind of interesting. A lot of, you know, you, you know, with uh, heads of state and stuff like that. And uh, just deal with everything that came with that. Um, everything that came with everything that has been going on in America with all the police brutality and everything else. And uh, knowing that I kind of have to bottle it up, even if I'm feeling frustrated, angry, upset, um, and just hold it in because there sometimes just isn't anybody I can talk to about it. I've got to give a plug here. 
pound PNG employee. Oh, what? Hashtag PNG employee. I always forget that. I'm old. Pound sign. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. I, 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 I told my Hashtag brother. PNG employee. Yeah, yeah, I told my brother uh, about the pound sign, and yeah. he was like, the what? And I was like, you know, the pound sign. You know, you hear on the phone, press, do yeah. the, enter the thing, and then press pound. And he was like, uh-huh. And we're only six years apart. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so hashtag PNG employee. But um, go online and look some stuff up. You will see the talk, the look. Um, you will see ads about um, gay people. You will see ads about transgender people. Um, so PNG is doing a fantastic job of showing that there are for us it happens to, for us it happens to be the people buying our products right but we are trying to show the world that there are a lot of consumers out there and they're all different and we want to meet the needs of everybody and it is amazing to me that the ads that we're putting out there so yeah look it up so based on what the story you just told about you don't necessarily mean to be the first person everybody's excited to see because you are, but you might be putting that on a bit by uh, nurture more than by nature. Is that the right way to say that? Mm -hmm. I can absolutely relate to that because of the, in the gay community that I'm not really actually a part of, but the people that I do know and the people that I know personally, I guess even here, they're like, man, we would never think you're gay. You're just, you're just, you're not, you're not really gay, you know? Like, I, mean, I know exactly what they mean. I don't find it offensive or anything. And But it's like, I have been in this motorsports community and I've been in communities of straight white people, of uh, predominantly white affluent people um, since I was 15, 16 years old. And I think in that young formative stage, I also picked up how to blend really, really, really well. And now it's part of, it is who I am. I'm not putting it on. Um, I'm finding that as in the last four years as well, I've come to cherish the ways that I'm different and the ways that I am me more weirdly because it makes me want to like hit it in people's faces more. I don't know. I'm, I'm also privileged to <laughs> probably get away with that more than if somebody else were to try to do that or, you know, do that. But it's like part of who I am now. It's like, it's just... I say, hey, dude, and hey, man, instead of like, what's up, girl, or whatever. I don't even know. <laughs> but that's just, it became part of me because it had to be, maybe. And I'm also curious from Becky and Renee, is there ways that a woman in motorsports has to become a chameleon in the way that I think James and I have in different ways? Or is it like you just got to deal with people? I definitely have realized that, that I put on a little bit... Um, in that I, so I never, I never clean the car <laughs> because I don't want people, I know it sounds silly, but like, I feel like I have to put on this, this tough face so that people know that I'm not what they assume a female should be. Like, I feel like people assume that women are here to tag along and to clean the car and to cook the food at the campsite and take care of everything. So I refuse to do those things because I don't want people to think that that's my role. Wow. I, that would not have ever been the first thing I expected. Sorry, keep going. And just like the, 
the front of like toughness, I, I think. Um, and sometimes I've been called cold for it, but I, I just don't, <laughs> I don't want to, I feel like I'm already grouped into a stereotype of what a woman should be. And I try to show that I'm not that as much as possible, if that makes sense. So before I married, before I met and married Scott, I actually I feel like we should clarify that you're married to Scott and you're married to Scott, Scott but, yeah, the but different Scotts. Different Scots. <laughs> not the yeah, same we Scott. Pro- well, we should We're probably married, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so you're married to Scott. You're with Scott. Yes. And they're still not the same Scott. <laughs> sorry, keep going. <laughs> yeah, let's not let's not bring that up. Um, so, so I dated a guy for a long time. And so this was after my brother built my car, and I met a guy at a track, and he actually said, I want to put you in my car and see what you can do. And so he did, and I performed better than he did. And so he supported me for four years in a car. And there were a number of times where I got, again, I got called names or he got called names. And it was tough for him. I was winning. I won the championship. And I was winning all the time. And it was tough for him because all of a sudden he's supporting a female driver. And, again, I'm one of one. And guys were calling him names, right? And you can imagine the white male names that come out of a man who supports a woman. And this is in the 80s. (laughs) So this is way, you know, way back when. And he had a tough time, and I, you know, I cherished that, that he continued to do that, supported me through that, let me win, while he was getting all kinds of flack for that. I mean, he was called all kinds of names, like, you know, I mean, you guys, you guys have heard it. I was, well, I'm gonna, just going to say it, he's a pussy, he was pussy whipped, he was, I mean, it was all of those names he was called, and this was not, it wasn't even a small man. You know, he, he's a large man, but he's just going, she's better than I am. Why wouldn't I put her behind the wheel? And no matter how many times he said that, there's going like, no, no way. And, of course, I was beating the other guys at the time, so they felt that they could say those things. I think uh, just another way that, that I see myself uh, putting on a front is to make sure I put in a lot of work outside the track to make sure that I know what I'm doing because I don't want to I feel like if I show any sign of not knowing something that it's going to be uh, pointed to as like well it's because she's a woman Uh, and that might just be a me a me thing but I I do feel like I need to really know my stuff and not show any signs of uh, weakness (laughs) When, when someone walks up to me and says, so what are your tire pressures? What engine are you running? What, what, you know, what, what's your shock setting? What, whatever. I feel like I need to know that answer. Even though, like this weekend, I have the crew chief sitting here beside me, James, who I really expect him, when I come in and I tell him how the car is performing, and this is how any driver giving information to their crew chief says, I need to come in and I need to tell the crew chief, how my car is performing. One would expect, male to male, that the male driver would tell the crew chief how the car is performing, 
and the male crew chief would then set up the car to compensate. This is how it's performing. This is how I want it to perform. You go set it up. But because I'm a female, I'm expected to know those things, right? And I think that's what Becky's saying, is that, is that we're expected to know that regardless of what role we're playing. We are still expected to have the umbrella. We know it all. We, we have to know it all or we're looked down upon. It feels like a test sometimes. Yep. <laughs> Whether it is or not, it feels like it. Um, and also, I, I don't let Scott... Um, I bought a car a couple months ago, and I have a really hard time letting Scott work on it or have input in it because I want... I think it's it would be very easy for someone to see us pull up with both our cars and assume that Scott has been the one that built both of them. And I, I'm very defensive about that, that I've, I've made all the decisions and I've been the one that's put all the work into that so that there's no, um, so it's unshakable that like, this is my car because I think it's, it's very easy. Um, I think something that people do, whether they know it or not is assume that if there's a woman driver, the car has been set up by a male. (laughs) gonna kind of do the 50,000 foot view and things that I'm hearing right now is that they're external expectations linger over this entire conversation I feel like in very different ways depending on demographic and I'm wondering if we can kind of talk to that because the white straight male is the water that we all swim in and I happen to be those water droplets that makes up part of that ocean. And um, I remember, I, f- I forget where it was, but it was essentially talking about swimming in that water and essentially living in a different culture. Is that, James, you, on any given track weekend live in a different culture you can't use the same language here that you would elsewhere renee you cannot use the same language the same mannerisms that you might elsewhere because of the ocean you're swimming in tom you've you've mentioned already how certain phrases you just not maybe that you wouldn't use them but like you change your language because of this ocean, Becky, you and I have obviously talked a lot. Uh, your leggings being one of the ways that you help navigate those waters that you swim in is that there. It just it feels like a immediate weight and burden before you even start a conversation. The thing that um, I thought of when you were saying that is that these things come from experiences so even though it may not be um, my assumptions of somebody's expectations for me may not be personal to them but it's something that I have experienced before from somebody uh, and I am aware and on guard for those things whether they're true for who I'm talking to at the moment or not it's something that I look out for based on experiences (laughs) I think for me, it's maybe a little bit more self-placed than it is um, anything else because I've only actually really ever had 
fantastic experiences in motorsports other than I think maybe the one isolated incident we talked about. And again, that one's I'm not even confident on placing on them, even though it was wrong no matter what. Um, you know, when I was when I was uh, 16, I think one of my best friends was also the uh, leader of the local autocross region, the SCCA region that I was a part of. And he told me when I came out, uh, I guess it was later, probably 17 or 18, I came out to him. Is one of the first people I came out to, and he told me if anybody ever gives you a hard time, ever, period, they will not be allowed back at one of our events. Um, that was Dave Santel. A lot of people listening might know him. Um, and I have had that as a through line pretty consistently with leadership in the SECA, which is where I really got my start with, with motorsports, with Honda and Honda Racing when I was racing professionally for Honda, with grid life and other sanctioning bodies and um I, I i don't know maybe maybe you guys can say i don't know if that if anybody would be compelled to tell somebody else that but they were compelled to tell me that there was i had another fun experience with an engineer from honda who was uh, a typical engineer and that he was you know engineering focused not so much socially and we had a very awkward exchange at SEMA where he pulled me aside after we went to go get lunch and he before we got back to the booth and I thought he was going to tell me something about racing and he was like I just want you to know that like all of us from HPD like we we really appreciate you and like having you around and no matter what like your personal life and your extracurriculars are like and whatever we we support you and you're part of the family and this was my first year racing for Honda and I was like you know, when they do that, you know exactly what they mean, and that it's the most empowering feeling. It as in, in no way offensive. No matter how you handle that conversation, the person you're telling that to will not be offended. I promise you. At least I hope they won't, because it is it means the world to be empowered in that way. Um, on the flip side, to get back to what you're talking about, is the pressures that maybe I put on myself were that when I'm 16, 17, 18, or even now, and I'm hanging out with mostly straight white guys, or hanging out in a in you know a paddock like this not even white guys just straight guys uh it's like women come up and the way men talk about women come up and it's mostly not offensive and it's mostly not that bad but in the same way like i cannot relate <laughs> and if i were to say anything about a man to those men they would all be like well, keep that to yourself what do you like why do we don't want to know that that's weird and I can respect that. That's fine. There's a time and a place for all that. But at the same time, I think when you grow up in that setting for years, you l internalize that into like the things that I think and feel are not necessarily okay in this setting. So you just compartmentalize things completely. And that's part of why I think being gay has never really been a big part of my presence in motorsports because it's just not part of... It, be, it didn't be it wasn't a part of my life for a long time really it was just like I, I knew that I was gay but I was like I'm just not gonna not gonna try to talk to boys I'm not gonna try to meet anybody I'm gonna focus on racing like that is the only thing I cared about and you we've talked about this Renee it's like I'm just gonna swear off of it and I'm gonna try to make the racing happen and I think I was successful in that but at the same time uh, it, it neutered some of the other opportunities that I might have had in life so uh I don't know that that'll ever change or anything. It's not like I want people to be able to, like, I don't want to point out a guy that's hot to all the rest of my straight friends at the track necessarily out of nowhere, even though straight dudes do that to women all the time. There's the disconnect a bit for me, but um, yeah. yeah, it's like, 
I think the difference may be in part of why, like, the the other three of you versus me is, like, my minority group or whatever you want to call it is a sexual orientation. So it's like when you meet somebody, do you want to like engage with them in that way? (laughs) And the rest of everybody else is like, you know, it's a skin tone or a gender or something like that. So there's a different tone to a sexual orientation that makes people uncomfortable in a different way. Cause it's like, I might come off as a threat to some guys or I don't, threat's the wrong word, but I don't want to, I, I could make other guys uncomfortable. So I've always made sure to not do that because that's not. I still think it's a, I still think it's a threat. There's, there Maybe. are some guys out there who are, would be very threatened by a gay man being faster on track than they are. Oh, I've never thought of it that way. I thought you meant being attracted to them. Mm-hmm. I would never want, no. I, I don't want to make people uncomfortable in that way. I'm I'm beating on track every time. That's fine. I know you. I know. But but that's what I'm saying. There are guys who they're going to hold that against you, and that's going to be their. What's interesting to me is to start, and then I'll pass it on. But I think that motorsports is such a competitive type A personality setting that a another guy that is uncomfortable by being beaten by a gay man is too emasculated to be upset about it publicly. So while anybody might have been upset by being beaten by me, whereas maybe for being a woman is different, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, but I have never had a guy be mad publicly about being beaten by me or the maybe a dozen other gay men that I know that compete in motorsports. So so I don't think it's necessarily public. So I think that they, they are threatened. Mm-hmm. They are angered by it. But they take it out in ways of calling names or saying you shouldn't be here or you don't belong, you don't know enough. They're, so, so they do it in different ways. Maybe I'm lucky, but I've never had that. That's what I mean is yeah. while, while a, a man might be comfortable enough to call you a word, they've never been comfortable enough to call me a word, at least to my face. And I'm, Except no. for that once, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm wondering if that's not the the water that we're talking about swimming in right now is that if you code it in a, I'm a much better driver than you. I'm a much more competent crew chief than you. I'm a better driver, more authority, especially in the GLTC uh, race director. I have more authority in that I tech your car and give way better hugs than anybody else here. Um, That like, but that, that, feels like it almost has to come and it does i mean it's just you're a fast driver it's how it is but that when you code it like that when that's the language you talk everything else that comes with it like you said has to kind of go underground i think a better way to put it is if i was not as competent in a car as i am i don't think i would have the same fortunate experience as i have how about that yep i agree with that that if you were Let's say you were just an average driver. You're mid-pack or maybe a little better than mid-pack. You wouldn't get the courtesies you're getting today. 100%. Yep. I've and, thought and that's the way plenty I feel about, about that. Yep. yep. So I think about it. I am probably, um, my, when I was driving at my peak, um, I was slightly better than mid-pack. And... Scott and I, uh, so we did ECRs, 
and Trevor and I did ECRs and those are SCCA endurance races in the yeah, southeast. Sorry. So, so I we Trust did that me. we did that for for um, four years, and with every co-driver I had, we ended up winning the championship every year. So I had multiple male co-drivers, and I I co-drive with them. I I love I prefer ECRs to the to the sprint races, so I always wanted to do ECRs. Um, and in that four years with three different co-drivers we always won the championship and what every and so there were times when I got well you're always driving with a guy I got that all the time and what I can say is is pull all three drivers that I drove with I tended to start the race and every time every every single time I handed over the car in first place all they had to do was maintain it. And so I'm not going to say I was a lesser driver than they were. There's no doubt. I, I, I put it in first place. I kept it in first place. All they had to do was maintain it, right? But I still got all the time, it's like, well, you're driving with a guy. Well, if I could find a woman out there, I would drive with her, you know. But um, So that was that. Um, so, so that was just, that, that was really the tough part. And... So one other example is when I was doing autocross, um, I went to uh, a national championship and, well, a local national. Um, I don't know how to say that. How do, how do you say that? So it's, so it's the... I think it's sweet potato. <laughs> Jumbo shrimp. No, it's... So, so it's part of the national, but it's local. A regional. It. It's a, well... Divisional. Divisional. Is it a divisional? I think so. So it's run by the national group. Tour. Okay. It's part of the national tour, but it wasn't a national championship. Look at Tom with every word in the vocabulary there. He's got it all up. He's got it all. So it was one of the national tours, and we're there doing... (laughs) Districts? No, it was... was, So the national group comes in, part of the national tour, and so I'm driving, and I'm sitting third overall in a group and I'm, I'm running open because I've been running open for years um, and so this guy is standing there and he's standing right beside me and he doesn't even know who I am and he's standing beside me and he's looking at the rankings and so this is day one and we so the national tours do two days and so this is Saturday and we're looking at the results after Saturday and I'm sitting third and my co-driver happens to be first so he is beating me. I'll admit to that. So I'm sitting. I'm sitting third, and so this guy walks up and he's going, "I don't know who this is, but if she'd run ladies, I could be third right now." And wow. I just said, "Well, that's me, and you could be third if you drove faster." <laughs> <laughs> and of course, he called me a name and walked away. I'll just say that. But that's that's the other thing is that in times when I am faced against men, I have had them come up to me and say things like that. Is like why why are you running here? Why are you here? Why aren't you in ladies' class? Or why don't you run in the in the powder puff group? You know whatever. And I get that a lot. Everybody's staring at me. <laughs> Your turn. Um, I guess in a way I don't like I said I don't really experience it that way. Um, because it's not 
socially acceptable to be racist at the racetrack or anywhere really i mean there's a lot of people that are out there and just out blatantly racist but thankfully we surround ourselves with people who would uh immediately call them out and probably out like outs them and publicly shame them and uh people really don't like to be publicly shamed turns out um but kind of in the way uh like tom said I'm fortunate to be surrounded by a group where I do know that if somebody were to be blatantly racist to me and go out of their way to try and make me feel uncomfortable, I have a network of people I could tell and they would probably be forcibly thrown out of wherever they were. Um, So I'm so grateful for that. Um, But have you felt it growing up in this industry? Not here with Grid Life. We think, I think, I think you have described the grid life environment, and I believe that that's very true. We would toss them out on their ear, but growing up in this industry, growing up, so little backstory. I mean, I've I've been a professional mechanic for like, I guess you know the the term is technician. It makes me sound smarter. Um, (laughs) I've been a technician for twelve or thirteen years, Um, and then for a while I was actually a technician for ADT where I was inside people's houses a lot like for two years just every day inside somebody else's house doing something um and uh I really really felt it there sometimes depending on what neighborhood I was in uh I had been I had been turned away before I'd had uh people open the door and ask for a different tag straight up um the thing with working on cars is most people don't know who is working on their cars if they're at like a corporate shop or something. Um, but in the performance industry, I haven't had anybody overtly be racist to me, but it do, it turns out that sometimes people with money suck and, uh, they're, they're what they are willing to say because they think there's no consequence is, uh, kind of ridiculous. Um, and thankfully where I'm at right now, I don't deal with it much, but every now and then you'll get that, you'll get that one guy or one person who's just like gets under, like they crawl under your skin a little bit and growing up, I mean, having to deal with racism growing up from a very, I mean, from a young age and I'm, I'm light skinned. So I'm not even like, I'm not dark skinned like my wife or my sister, but, um, I mean, I still will deal with a lot of different racist things growing up you learn to develop tough skin as a child um it's like you know i have a daughter she'll be three and uh at some point in time in the very near future within the next year or so i'm gonna have to sit down with her and explain to her what racism is um and the to talk yeah that's the, the right in the black community i you know i i think in the color the people of color community um that is an unfortunate truth that we have to do is we have right. to sit down with our children. We have to give them the talk about racism. How many white people have to do that? That, that, that to me is just, it's the big shame for our country is that our black citizens have to have the talk with their children about how to handle our police force. Or, in, or how to handle the workforce too, because I mean, I think it was very recently that a law was passed it was either a law or something was passed that allowed that uh, wouldn't let employers discriminate against hairstyles because traditionally black hairstyles would be seen as unprofessional. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's 
it's one of those things you don't think about until you say it out loud and it sounds ridiculous but then you think about i mean like i can name tons of instances for like my wife wearing cornrows braids i mean Mm -hmm. if you show up with dreads stuff like that the the traditional office environment professional hairstyles would be permed straight hair not curly hair not an afro especially not an afro Mm. But, I mean, if that's naturally how my hair grows, you know, why is that unprofessional? Right. Um, and it's just, there's things like that that you are taught from a very young age that just travel with you everywhere. And in so many ways, all that stuff gets so overlooked because you're so used to it that you don't even notice if somebody is kind of discriminating against you and you just don't know because you're just like... or. I, I won't say you don't know, but you do definitely know, but it doesn't even bother you because it's a norm. Um, so in a way, uh, to circle back to what we were talking about earlier about like carrying ourselves and putting on, uh, putting on like a face or a performance, I find myself changing vocabulary from what I'm comfortable to. Uh, I like when I always sound professional, um, even in a in a chill environment sometimes i'll always sound professional and i'll find myself doing that and uh it's tiring so seriously when you see nothing but white people in the room your vocabulary immediately changes regardless of the setting immediately i i can't it it's almost hard to just relax like not relax in the environment of being like just to use I wouldn't use the same vocabulary and terminology that I use if I was hanging around with like just my wife or just like my the, some friends that I grew up with or just like, you know, just honestly, just any like a group of black homies just like hanging out like, you know, I'd say homies and things like that all the time. What I'm sad about right now is I'm thinking I know James. But do I really know James, the comfortable James, because right now we're white faces and grid life is mostly white faces. And I would be very sad to think that I don't, not that I don't know James, but that James isn't comfortable to be James with us. That's That makes me very sad. And, it's, and, and I'm not saying it's not true. It probably is true, but isn't it a sad thing? And it's just something that's, like, like I said, it's one of those things that you grow up with. And it's so very hard to change and it's one of those things that it happens automatically like you you and it's uh it kind of hurts you know like you think about it and it's like you don't if you don't stop and think about it it doesn't bother you but it's just because it's it's almost been like wearing a weighted vest always and i know you all of you have that same feeling of like always having like a weight to the point where that you don't notice it anymore and then when you take it off, you feel weird. Yeah, I've, I've heard it described like traveling to a different country where the culture is different, the dress is different, the language is different. But that's like walking out of your front door. Yeah. Is that? It happens every day. Yeah. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of an everyday thing. I think what, like I said, in the last two years, but specifically in the last year, it became such a forethought. The combination of sitting at home doing, I was one of the people that sat at home and did nothing for months and having uh, specifically the, the like social unrest and the George Floyd, George Floyd murder last year. Uh, 
and just like having all this time to think about it and it became so uh it became the the way i came to think about it was why why do i have the privilege to be treated differently than that man did and realizing that when i have a thing that is a discriminatory point that is a you know prejudice whatever that is not on my face all the time or on my body on my person on my first impression at all times and somebody else does the amount of privilege that I have because of that I'd actually tried to shoot some videos about this or, and post it and I always broke down I could I never did it and I wish I did a year ago but I don't even have a finish to that thought it became so became such a forethought to me at all times that maybe that's why I wanted to put it on my face more and I like had dyed bleached hair and I put rainbows in it and looked ridiculous for a year more than I not that I didn't want to like I, I looked at how I wanted to but right. it's like Jesus if I if like if I don't have it written on my face I'm going to put it on my face uh, and by face, I don't mean skin color. By face, I mean, like, I'm going to put it on the first impression that when you mm -hmm. see me, you think of me in the way that I am. Bec not me flying a flag or anything, but, like, I s that was a very incoherent rambling thing. But no, but I no. thought about that a lot I understood last completely. Year. But, yeah. that, but that sounds like almost what James is talking about, like that weighted vest. Yeah. Like, it sounded like. But the thing is, I don't have to take that vest on and off every day. No, but it sounds like you're putting it on yourself intentionally. intentionally. Uh, not really. I'm just saying I'm I'm mostly trying to <laughs> put into words how tough that is. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, James has a colored face. We have boobs. You know, we get noticed immediately in this environment. Yeah. Tom with a white face doesn't. But when he wore his colored hair, which I loved, but when he wore his colored hair, he did stand out. And so that that kind of made people take a second look or understand. And so I I appreciated and I love that Tom did that. He's kind of standing out there and saying, "Listen, I'm different. Accept it." Right? Um, we've been trying to do that. It, it's a little harder for us. Um, I'm not saying it was easy for Tom to do that either. The fact that I got away with it as easily as I did is another testament to how good I might have it and it's so hard to know that but I, and I don't think it's easy for you either there. so so it sounds like what's almost happening is a conscious effort maybe for a lot to go from needing to be a friendly mechanic first uh -huh. and also a black man to being a competent, strong woman with decades of motorsports experience first and a woman second. To be a fast, professional race car first, gay man second. To be a competent, well-put-together woman first, female second. And it sounds like, please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, that what we're trying to do is at least balance that where you can be both things equally at the same time rather than having to present 
one side first and stronger and follow it up. Well, I feel like we have to present, as you said, where we all where you where you mentioned all those firsts. That's what we have to present first before we can be accepted in this environment, in the white male motorsports world. Before we can be accepted, we have to present that first. We can't present that we're a black man or we're female or we're a gay man. That cannot come first. Or we're denigrated. We're. It's like trying to get ahead of the assumptions. Yes. I think exactly. one thing I really wanted to ask this table was because we have two women with similar experiences in my mind from different generations, mm-hmm. whether or not you feel there's progress because James and I are similar age and James and I probably only have about 10 years of experience where you have f- probably 40 in motorsports mm-hmm. and you might have 20 in automotive. No, <laughs> no. Well, like five, maybe. Oh, I thought you worked in automotive. I work in a uh, building. Okay, so you, but it's a male-dominated construction kind of, so. I've got 10, more than 10 years experience in construction. Right, got it. So between, really, Mm -hmm. you two, between Becky and Renee, do you, maybe you can tell story of, on first impression of this conversation, there is not, (laughs) but maybe you can share that maybe there is, or maybe, maybe not, I don't know. I think there's been some progress. I, I certainly don't think there's been as much as I certainly hoped when I started in, you know, 1981 when I won my first round track, dirt track race. And I was, again, one of one. Um, I certainly thought, my thought was five, ten years, we'd, we'd see a lot more women out there. It wasn't happening. Women just weren't drawn to the sport. They weren't interested. Um, and it still frustrates me that when I meet someone, just, you know, they immediately think that, let me go back to, if, if, if my company gives a gift card to me and they know I'm female, they will give me a gift card for flowers, a massage, shopping. Woman things. Those sound great. And that frustrates me is that I want none of those things, right? I'm not interested. You know, and, and so, so those are the things that frustrate me is that, is that in all this time, they haven't said, you know, if, if, if nothing else, give me a list of gift cards that I can pick from. But no, they just hand me one. And it's so frustrating to me that I'm, because I'm female, I am classified in this single category. And I don't know how that's going to change. And part of me says I just need to go out there and yell at women to say, change, 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 and stop doing this, right? But I realize that we're probably still the smaller category. But, but again, don't discount us because we are, you know, we, we are still a minority, but don't discount us. Aren't women 51% of the population? Yeah, but not in motorsports. Okay, motorsports, got it. Yeah. <laughs> So I definitely realize that nobody's telling nobody's telling me to my face that I don't belong here or saying the things that I know that you've heard. Um, I do think it's a it's a problem that's so ingrained that people don't even realize it's happening. 
Um, and I think about, like, we don't have a lot of women in motorsports. I think even from early childhood, like, you look at TV ads and the dolls are shown with women playing, little girls playing with them. And the, the race cars and the Hot Wheels and stuff have little boys in the, in the commercials. And I think it's so ingrained that pe- people don't even realize that there is an assumption of you're a woman, this is what you're interested in, or you're a man, this is what you're interested in. And I, I think that's so silly that you can't just be a person who's interested in what you're interested in. Like, it's already ascribed that you're a woman, you are you should wear makeup, you should wear dresses, you should play with dolls. And I never wanted to do any of those things when I was a kid. I wanted to be in the shop with my grandpa working on tractors. And uh, I wanted to learn how to ride my brother's motorcycle. And it's still so strange to me that that makes me different. But it's just who I am and what I'm interested in, so why is that different? Yeah, I'm still very much female. I've had three children and been mothers to them. And yet, I don't play with dolls. I never did. I don't... You're right. I, I, I don't go shop. I hate to shop. Don't make me shop. Please don't make me shop. <laughs> I hate that. You know, I don't fit any of the, the feminine aspect, right? But yet, I'm, I still... I'm woman. I, I am still female. I was a good mom. You know, so that... How does that make am? me different? I was going to say still am. Yeah. <laughs> the best. Yeah. So... And I don't think I don't think we as a society invite women to do man things or men to do women things. Like, uh, it's just not. It doesn't occur to people that like maybe we should put Renee in the car, <laughs> or uh, maybe my daughter would like to come and help in the garage, or maybe my son would like to come and bake. Uh, I just think it's uh, it's so ingrained that we don't even realize that it's a continuing problem. Yeah, I think my my experience has been in outs not not just motorsports, but in general, I find that younger people in general are better to deal with than older people with how they react to me, um, and I hope with how they react to my friends around me because I, I we have conversations like this off mic more regularly than people might think and. I find that to be feeling like progress. And the thing in motorsports that reinforces that for me is we sit in the paddock full of probably one of the younger demographics in the country. Um, and this community travels from event to event. So it's like we're not necessarily the grid life community, but it is certainly considered that. And we travel to different track days and we can travel to different motorsports events. But this demographic that we sit with, that we choose to surround ourselves with, is one that would even think to have this freaking podcast, let alone one that would Seriously. do things like things like we do. And I've, I am no doubt in my mind it's the most diverse paddock when you look at the people that come to these events. Way in more people of color here than any paddock I've ever been in. In contrast to a, a, a major sanctioning bodies national championship event last year where there was a lot of flags being flown in ways that made me feel for the first time ever in my over 10 years of experience with that club group uncomfortable to go around and talk to people because I was not sure that if I made somebody uncomfortable whether I would be supported or asked to tone it down 
I think that's... And the demographics of age involved in those, I think, are very, very, very at front in that. For me, that is a great way to segue into um, the paddock that we are all key parts of, uh, which is grid life. Now, we do not speak for grid life. We do not... uh, We are (laughs) nothing like that. However... I, I speak think for good life. I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> okay. No, we don't. Um, the paddock of which in which we are all a part. Um, I think it'd be easy to say that I think all of us have at least had an, a weird interaction at some point here. I know for sure Becky has because we have talked about it. Um, and the way that I really learned about that is through Sally McNulty, which I shared with her, where Becky and I went up to talk to her in Paddock when she was racing uh, Time Attack there. And um, we both said hi, and I was immediately the third wheel at best in that conversation. It was Sally, and it was Becky speaking, and I was just standing there like a, a stake in a tent pole. It was... It was, and immediately I recognized what was happening. This is what Becky felt like all the time. Um, so I'm wondering if all of you can help the listeners, of which I think we have a lot of grid life. We've got some One Lap of America listeners, and hopefully beyond that, share maybe a few tips from each of you in just how to make people not necessarily just women, black men, gay men, Muslim men and women, of which we also have, um, how to make people feel welcomed and included. What are are some ways that people can actively do that? Don't shy away from the differences, but embrace them. Because we're all different. And there's nothing that's going to change that. But to... I mean, to to almost pretend like we're not different is almost like, uh, what's a good word for it? It's almost like downplaying the experiences that the other person has had, mm-hmm. but to per, like to pretend that we're different, but to instead embrace those differences, to understand that you all come from different backgrounds, different uh, walks of life, and to truly appreciate the fact that cars bring us all together i think that is one of the best ways to feel to make somebody feel welcoming um i've been instructing for going on three years now uh thanks to mr scott giles and his words of encouragement and wisdom and uh one of the things that i share with my students when i go to connect with them is you know i I ask them, you know, I ask them about their life, where they're from, what their goals are and stuff like that. And when I connect with them, I don't make it, I don't try and, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Scott, what's the word, man? I'm not, I don't try and, uh, good old dead air. Patronize? Patronize? I don't know. Like, yeah, I guess I don't try, yeah. To? I don't try to, like, patronize or play into us being the same because i mean i think uh, uh walks of life are almost like driving styles if you think about it like 
everybody has a different style, a different way that they like to do everything. And uh, if you embrace the fact that you are different, I am different from Tom, and we connect over these cars, we can, I think we can come closer than attempting to, and be more welcoming, like more openly welcoming than attempting to, I don't know, tiptoe on eggshells around them. And what I hear you saying, again, feel free, is that when people may make it seem like, oh, we're all the same, that actually sounds like external pressure and I don't want to say like oppressive, but it's like that sounds like it's making the person feel more comfortable, not necessarily you. Yeah, I think exactly that. Along those lines, I was thinking, um, well, first of all, it's really um, easy to want to be in control of the ways that you're different than people. I think it's comforting to say that um, I'm different from this person because I can see how I'm different. Uh, I think um, cars is something that we all have in common, but there's probably a lot of ways outside of cars that we that we can connect with each other and ways that we're different from each other and I think it's important to it's really easy to talk about only cars at the racetrack but I think it's important to talk about other people's lives and get to know other people um, I also think it's important and I I I struggle with this too but knowing when I'm uncomfortable and trying to realize that and uh, try to try to figure out what's making me uncomfortable and maybe in realizing that I can figure out um, what we have in common or I can just name it and be able to get past it. Like, I'm uncomfortable talking to this person. Why is it uncomfortable? Is it because of something that I assume about them about their appearance? Let me see what we have in common that we can connect over. So I love that in both of these is that we we all share 99.9% of our DNA, right? Everybody in this room. So the thing is, is that we are more alike than we know. And if we can try to connect on what we like, right now it's cars. We're all here for cars. Connect on what you like, but not on what the differences are. That you're black and you're female and you're gay why call those out why not connect on how we're the same mm -hmm. and the things that we love to do wait becky you love to set up a car tell me how let's let's talk about that it, it doesn't matter that we look different that we sound different that you know let's talk about the things we like and why isn't that enough that can't we all just agree on what we like no we can't and that that's the truth understand that James is black, but wow, James can set up a car, and I, I, I love know. that. I don't know you if know? I'd say that, but uh, I, I could probably drive okay. <laughs> but, but that's the thing is that is that why can't we celebrate the things that are great about each of us? While we we recognize, I can look at James in the face, and don't tell me that nobody sees color. Everybody sees color. I look at James in the face. I realize he's a black man. There's nobody who's going to be able to say he's not right. But I can look at James and say, I respect that he's a black man, 
because this man gives great hugs. But he can set up a car, he can build an engine, and he can and he can be a great friend. Why do I have to say he's a black man, he's six one, he's a little scary? Why would that even come up? Why not think about the things that were the same? I love cars. I want a car set up well. I want to talk about how the car's set up. Let's talk about that. Let's share what we have in common. And let's, I'm not saying ignore the differences, but let's respect the differences between us. But let's talk about what we have in common and celebrate that. Let's treat people like people instead of yeah. like women or black men or gay men. Let's just, if we can just treat people like people instead of the categories that we put them into, which we all, which we all do, like Renee Humans said. Humans categorize. But if, we can, mm-hmm. if we can recognize that we do that and try to move past that and, and treat people like people. I think I would say kind of you cultivate a culture of accountability around where you are um, in that less so that you're celebrating the people around you, but you're holding the people around you accountable for whether or not they are being accepting. And that would be like, you know, if, if you, if you hear somebody say something that is not appropriate, you can absolutely say something to them, whether or not the person they've said it about or the thing they've said it about is present Mm -hmm. as well. Um, Because in general, I think, people may be able to get away with more than they should be more often than they should. And I also fully believe that it doesn't have to be calling people out because I've had a specific moment I can think of is a, a really good friend described. He's like, I really don't like road America. Road America is gay. And I was like, you're right. Road America is the best track. <laughs> it's like, what the hell does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. You're right. It's, the gay means the best thing ever because Road America is the best track. But he also got my point. So you can absolutely, maybe not in all contexts, maybe that is a specific instance, but it doesn't always have to be a, a call out and a shame. It can be a positive spin. It can be a, a tongue-in-cheek moment. It can be a thing most people can chuckle at, but you still make your point. But in general, I think people have to be held accountable to understand because we've said many times on this podcast just in the last hour and 14.5 minutes <laughs> that there are times that people don't realize that they're doing those things because of the way that they are, because of the way they live or the environment they live or whatever for the next or for the last however many years they've been alive. So pointing those things out, hopefully in a productive way that doesn't also make them feel two feet tall but unless they've earned it then you can make them feel two feet tall (laughs) so i really think that uh the majority of these experiences that i've pointed out people don't realize that i've taken it that way and i've experienced that a lot especially in construction um i just moved into a job where it's all men and i'm the only woman on the job site and there's been several times where i've pulled someone aside and said hey I don't know if you realize this but that really offended me and here's why and they totally didn't mean to do it that way but um in talking to them then they maybe they didn't get it right away but have come back the next day and said you know I thought about this and I thought about all these other instances where I've seen my wife do the same thing and I never realized that that was offensive um and I I really think that like you said those things need to be pointed out because it just it's it's ingrained and that's just the way that it has been and uh unless we have these gentle reminders for people 
that that's not okay or that mm-hmm. that bothered me for some reason yeah. people are, people don't know and that's amazing that you can do that or will do that because for every Becky that will pull someone aside and say, hey, that was not acceptable to me or that was un- that made me uncomfortable. There's a Tom that will never do that ever. So hopefully if you are not a Becky, you are a Tom that will call somebody else out on it because I'll call anybody else out on any other thing, but I probably won't pull somebody aside about my own discomforts. So whether you're the one or the other, hold people accountable, but try to keep so, it positive. So recently at the company I work for, and I've already mentioned that P&G has um, been doing a lot of advertisements on race and gender and um, sexual orientation. Um, in one ad, we were looking at the look. And growing up in the South, I understood immediately when I saw this video what the look meant and what it meant to black men especially. And in the video, um, so we did the video and then we did breakouts in the engineering group that I'm a part of. And um, as it turns out that I sit right beside a black male in my engineering group, and he, and as it turns out when we did the breakout group, um, he and I were in the same group. And so I had to be the leader of that group. So I asked him to talk about it a little bit. And it wasn't until afterward that I realized that I kind of called him out in a group of three white people. And later I was, we call those microaggressions basically, where I called him out in that and I said, could you speak to that because you would really understand it. At the time I was really hoping to educate, not really realizing that I really did put him on the spot. And so later I came back and I apologized with tears because I realized what I'd done, you know, and I'm thinking those microaggressions that we do not intentional and sometimes not even meaning to do harm. They're still there. They're still there for everybody. And I was devastated when that happened. And what I've heard a few times too is, and something I don't need to bear the burden of is not only are each of you, have the burdens that you do in just being different among a crowd but that you also bear the responsibility for affecting that change for education in that change and so it's a it it feels like a double-edged sword in some ways not only do you have to be different but then you also have to be the ones to and i've i've tried with becky to help use my my natural literally my natural born authority as given to me by culture writ large because I'm a single white Christian dude who's over six foot and <laughs> blah 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 middle class um, to help affect that change and I I guess I only say this to I just, that feels heavy to me and I don't have to bear it. I like how, you know how you come up with the names for these in the podcast? Different amongst the crowd. Ooh, that's a You good just said one. that. I like that's that. Really write it down. Really good. It's not like it's recorded or anything. <laughs> you should write that one down. It's almost like uh, the part in the movie where they say the movie title in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, to that point, I did want to say that um, I've made it sound really bad, like it's a terrible experience being a woman at the track, but Gridlife has really been one of the most welcoming communities, and I think I could easily name a handful of people who uh, I feel like are aware and trying to help make things better. Um, I guess I should say a few people who are not part of the minority who who realize it's happening and are trying to improve. Yeah, I have to say again that grid life has been the most welcoming to me, certainly as a female of an older generation even. So I had to deal with it in the younger in, in generation twenty, thirty years past. And now I get to grid life and while I am an older female in this industry I actually feel respect in this community, which in other groups and organizations, I would not feel. And so I do think we're going to give that shout out. Come play with us, you guys. Grid life is amazing. One simple tip I would have is if you meet new people, if you come up to a car say hello and make eye contact. I'm going to say this really slowly and I'm going to say it again. And he's looking into your eyes. Say hello and make clear and deliberate you so much. Eye contact. Just saying hello isn't enough but you have to actually acknowledge their physical freaking presence among you. And this stems from our experience with Becky and me being on the side of all that, seeing how many times she's just literally not acknowledged. It happened at NCM three weeks ago from another GLTC driver where they came over, said hi. Becky was not a part of that conversation. She is the crew chief of the Robertson Racing 213 Miata and she knows more about tires than you do. <laughs> Becky knows so much about tires. So when that that's just my, my super simple easy tip. And we even talked with Lester about this, who was, I think, fantastic about really trying making allowing him to take on the awkwardness of calling out that difference that that elephant that's in the room that's just sitting over there. I think something that really speaks to how wonderful grid life is, is that um, Scott's talked about this several times on track walking. And uh, I know we talked about it a little bit on the, the podcast that we did a few weeks ago, but I've noticed since then uh, how many more times people that have come up to the car have intentionally not just to, like have made a point to go out of their way and introduce themselves to me, even if they have already known Scott. Um, and I think that really speaks to just what a great community this is and it really cares about its people. So maybe that's how we could end. Um, could each of you tell us where you can be found and your role in grid life, uh, where they can find you and yeah we do that? I'll let Tom go first, or Becky go first, actually, because Becky is sitting closer to Scott. 
Okay, so I'm usually, uh, like Scott said, 213 Miata. I'm usually at the car or with Scott, or if Scott's in the car on grid, I'm by the grid. Uh, sometimes I'm under the car. You can still say hi to me. <laughs> I might not come out. Um, I usually wear very brightly colored leggings on purpose so that I'll be remembered and recognized. <laughs> it's my personal branding. I love it. And we love it. We love it. Uh, I am at Tama Racing on Facebook and Instagram. I race a Gridlife Touring Cup S2000 right now with ASM. Uh, and I am Gridlife's resident pro driver. So I get to drive a lot of very cool cars and play on racetracks. And it's all thanks to this group. I can be reached anytime at Renee's Rad at Gridlife. Sorry, Renee is rad at grid.life. Let me be clear. Um, I will answer any of your questions. I am race director for the Grid Life Turing Cup, which is open wheel racing with Grid Life. So please come out. I'm sorry, I said open wheel, wheel to wheel. Wheel to wheel racing at Grid Life. And uh, I have an Instagram name that I made a long time ago and I will never ever change. It is captain underscore backslap. Um, I am Gridlife's just permanent helper outer. Uh, my my roles get rotated based on whatever makes Adam's life easy. Um, but you can mostly find me on Grid, uh, trying to direct competition Grid like Time Attack, Grid uh, GLTC. I'll be in tech booth first thing in the like first thing in the event. You'll always find me walking around, kind of just trying my hardest to make everybody feel welcome and loved. Because I love racing, I love the racing community, and if I can share that joy with people, I love it. And most recently, I guess I'm now instructing for Grid Life occasionally, because um, <laughs> yes, that totally happened this weekend out of the blue. <laughs> and ripping Honda fits, etc. Oh man, you'll you'll <laughs> definitely find me ripping Honda. If you're looking for a car to associate me with, that's kind of hard because people shove me in things, like. People pay Tom to drive their cars, but people sometimes just grab me and shove me in their cars as if I have valuable input to give them. <laughs> Thank you each for coming on and talking about the elephant that is in our paddock. <laughs> um, whether people want to uh, admit it or acknowledge it, again, I would encourage all of you who listen to this to go not only seek out these four fantastic individuals in our paddock, but um, go say hi to somebody new. And that somebody new may not have even brought a car. That somebody may not have even driven on track before. Um, go out of your comfort zone. Talk to somebody new. I like that. Because we just did. True. We did. Because at some point in time, we were all that person who didn't know anybody coming into the sport. So go out of your way to make them feel welcome. Yep. Thank you all. Um, at Trackwalking Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. At Trackwalking Chats on is the Facebook group. Um, I, th I think I personally would be interested in hearing from people who... What have your experiences been on track? And I, I would love to hear people's life experiences yeah. if they've listened 
if you made it this far. No, no, in, in any any amount. Well, I guess you have to hear, you have to listen this far to hear me say yeah, this. That's but fair. Yeah, I, I mean, I would love to hear that stuff. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Um, and for, uh, I guess I'll say goodbye for Renee because she had to step out. Um, I'm Scott. She is Renee. I'm Becky. I'm Tom. And I'm James. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.